This is Esculapius, a podcast that uncovers the human side of our healthcare professionals. I'm your host, John Neary. Today, my guest is Dr. Chidi Parikh. Dr. Parikh is the Executive Director of the Integrative Health and Wellbeing Program at New York Presbyterian Hospital, Weill Cornell. She received her MD degree from UMDNJ Robert Wood Johnson Medical School and performed her residency in internal medicine at New York Presbyterian Hospital, Weill Cornell. Chidi, welcome to the show. Thanks, John. Very excited to be here. So first, uh, I just wanted to ask you in your own words, uh, what is healing? So healing in my, from my perspective, is just allowing the body to do its job. So very often diseases and symptoms happen because we often get in the way of this immense intelligence our body has inherited over years and years of evolution. And often things that we do through our diet and lifestyle just gets in the way. I know you even work uh, in palliative care. So is there healing that can happen uh, sort of when you're not necessarily guaranteed of uh, an, a good outcome? Absolutely. So just like you know, just like we talk about healing that can have multiple definitions, so does health. So healing also takes on a new meaning for each individual at different stages in their life. There's always an opportunity for healing. There's always an opportunity to have a conversation about health. So I think that's a door that's always open for everyone. It's just a matter of how we approach it and what it means to the person in front of us. So I'll give you an example. So for instance, you know, we see patients, I see personally see patients anywhere, you know, uh, people in their late teens, uh, early 20s who are otherwise healthy. And I also see people who are towards the end stage of their life. And I always have a robust discussion and lots of things to talk about when it comes to health and healing. So I don't think, um, you know, sometimes we end up thinking about outcomes in the sense or material objective outcomes, you know, as to can I get the blood tests under, you know, blood pressure under control? Can I, uh, does this chemotherapy make someone live longer? When we talk about healing, you have to expand the conversation beyond just the physical, objective, tangible outcomes. And you really have to start the discussion of what does health really mean to the person that we're healing? Because their definition really dictates what that healing journey looks like. And it doesn't always have to be objectified in, you know, uh, lab test and, uh, and sort of tangible things. Could you expand on, you know, when you're having those, like you said, robust conversations about what health looks like? Um, I imagine, like you said, age might be one factor that kind of steers that discussion. But what are some other things that will, uh, you know, sort of give you more direction so one of the first things uh, in my you know, visit with a new patient, the first questions I ask is, what is your goal? You know, what is the patient looking for? Because it's great that you know, patients, um, you know, I have my own set of ideas based on my medical training, what the patient should be doing or what they should be focusing on. But ultimately, the patient drives the discussion. So I always start the conversation by asking the patient, what are they looking for? Uh, what is the goal that they would like to set for us to focus on? And the discussion is far more comprehensive besides just saying, you know, talk to me about your, um, you know, uh, medical history, surgical history, things that we learn, sort of checklist in medical school. It goes way beyond that. 
So conversation often indicates, you know, includes the goal for the patient, but also looking at the whole biopsychosocial uh, model of health. So the questions will pertain to um, from childhood history to psychological history to talking about their diet, talking about their stress level, talking about their coping mechanisms, their support system, exposure to environmental toxins. So it really goes far beyond just asking, you know, what hurts today? What, you know, what brings you into the doctor's office um, that can be fi fixed, uh, you know, sort of set into a box of ICD-10 codes. It, the conversation is really all-encompassing because we know health is not just uh, absence of physical disease or symptom. It's really a balance between all of these components of health, whether it's, you know, emotional, psychological, spiritual, uh, community, environmental, all of these aspects play a big role in health and healing. For our listeners who may not be too familiar with integrative medicine, can you just describe what it is and what tools you have at your disposal? Yeah, so the definition of integrative medicine, it has really evolved over the last, I would say, at least a decade. So before this field of medicine was often referred to as alternative medicine. So the the image it conjures up is always, hey, someone, let's say someone is diagnosed with diabetes or high blood pressure. And instead of taking a medication, they chose not to see a Western medicine doctor. Instead, they did something on their own, whether it's diet changes or seeing an acupuncturist or whatever it may be. So it's really you're, you're avoiding the Western medical approach and choosing an alternate. So that's how it always was viewed upon as. Then the people realized that again, there is more and more scientific evidence backing up some of these modalities. Um, and then the terminology shifted from alternative medicine to complementary medicine. What that entails is let's say someone is diagnosed with high blood pressure, they see their doctor, they start a medication for high blood pressure, but on the side, they also end up you know, doing a lot of research and starting uh, some sort of a diet or start exercising with the fitness trainer, right? But the doctor doesn't really know that the patient's doing that. And the doctor does, who prescribed the medication is not necessarily the one who's recommending some of the other things that are evidence-based. So now integrated medicine brings all of this under one roof. So if I see a patient who I'm diagnosed with high blood pressure, I'm not simply just prescribing a medication. I'm also trying to look at the root cause and understand what is contributing to the high blood pressure, doing a very detailed you know, history taking when it comes to diet, lifestyle, stress factor, family history, and recommending things beyond just the medication that we know through research that these things work, whether it's a DASH diet, whether it's encouraging patients to exercise, lose weight, uh, maybe addressing stress by uh, through meditation, all of these have shown to help with hypertension in research, right? So this is a true integrated model where you're combining the best bodies of research, whether it's from the Western medicine world or whether it's Eastern medicine, and you're combining that really to bring and support, to bring the best medical therapies to the patient and really give the best chance for the patient to succeed along their health journey. Could you talk more about some of the therapies you employ? Uh, one of them is nutrition, which is obvious. Um, the second is psychotherapy. We also have acupuncturists uh, as part of our staff. We also have a meditation instructor. We also have yoga uh, therapist, uh, Reiki therapist, massage therapist. 
um, all of these are working together uh, for the patient. So very often a patient will see the physician, but they also end up seeing a lot of these other providers. And all the providers are discussing the patient's case so that everyone is on board and everyone's sort of working together in a team uh, that's supporting the patient's journey. So hypothetically, let's say I'm interested in uh, reducing stress by doing yoga. Mm -hmm. Should I, uh, in theory, it seems like you could either A, go to a yoga studio and kind of take that up uh, independently or do it through this integrative model where you're kind of uh, bringing your physician into uh, how uh, would you go about advising a patient like on, on what way to choose to do that? So I always recommend um, a more integrated model for two reasons. First of all, very often, you know, patients come across some of these therapies because they heard about it uh, by reading an article or heard about it through a friend or family member. So, so they don't, they might not really know exactly what that treatment is. You might not exactly know what yoga is, but you heard that it really helped your friend and you heard it's really good for you, right? But you might also not know where to find the best uh, you know, therapist or someone that's going to suit your needs. So I always recommend uh, trying an integrative model because then you cover all bases, especially for patients. Usually, um, you know, pe patients who are otherwise healthy, it's not that big of a deal. But when it comes to patients who do have a complex medical history, I always recommend going through a physician consultation first so that all of the treatments can be in a supervised setting and in a more coordinated setting. And second of all, um, even patients who are otherwise healthy, they often come to us for guidance because they might have heard of yoga, but there might be other modalities and things that could also help them. So it's always good to go through the integrated model because then you know you're checking all the boxes and you're doing it in a safe and effective manner. So to be clear, though, um, seeing an integrative physician like yourself isn't considered a, a primary care visit. It's, it's a sort of a specialty of sorts, correct? Yeah, it is. In most places, I mean, there's a hybrid model. So some integrated practices do both. They act as a primary care physician and also add the integrative model, where some practices like our practice chooses to just focus on the integrative piece, but we work very closely with primary care physicians within Cornell, New York Presbyterian, or any other primary care physician that the patient already has a relationship with. So looking more at the patients you treat, uh, what, are, what are some of the most common conditions you see? So I would say about top five, and this is, uh, this is common across most integrative centers. There was a survey that was done for top integrative uh, centers across the country, and they all found a similar theme that the main reasons patients seek integrative care, number one, is mental health. So when patients are suffering from depression, anxiety, or stress, um, second tends to be chronic pain. Third tends to be more GI symptoms like IBS, IBD, or irritable bowel syndrome, inflammatory bowel disease like Crohn's, also colitis. Um, then followed by patients with a uh, history of cancer and also followed by patients who are looking for more sort of cardiometabolic, so whether it's trying to lose weight or address heart disease, diabetes, and things like that. So it's really very sort of comprehensive in the sense you, and again, you know, we always think about 
uh, in integrative medicine is we treat patients, not diseases or symptoms, right? So the same patient could have a manifestation of many of these uh, different diseases, but ultimately the treatment approach for that patient might vary um, from someone else who has sort of the same diagnosis uh, as labels. So do you see it as uh, like a lot of those conditions you mentioned are just things that the Western, that Western medicine hasn't done so well yet that for a lot of people, just like mental health care hasn't really advanced enough in the Western context to, to be satisfactory. So they look elsewhere. Yeah. It's sort of kind of like a pivoting to look elsewhere, really. That's a very good point. So one of the reasons why patients come to us because they know they could be doing more. It's not necessarily that they haven't tried the Western medical approach. Often these patients have seen multiple specialists and kind of done what they're supposed to do from Western medical approach, whether it's medications or whatever it may be, they've already tried those things. So either they're not having full results um, just from that approach or um, some of the patients are interested on not having to take medications. So before they try medications, they wanna see what else they can do. So, so it's either they're in early stages and they want to explore other options that they know um, can work, or they want to do more than just take a pill. So, so those are the patients we typically see. And unfortunately, a lot of these conditions that I mentioned that patients come to us for tend to be more chronic and tend to be not very well addressed from a Western medical approach. Right. So not everyone benefits from just, a, you know, uh, antidepressant. And like you mentioned, not everyone has access to mental health care, whether it's uh, psychotherapy or even medication management. And when it comes to GI symptoms, uh, we often just focus on the symptoms and try to prescribe pills when we know a lot of these GI conditions ha are very intimately tied to diet and lifestyle. So often the focus is just medications but no one is really addressing the big, big root cause of a lot of the GI symptoms, which is diet and lifestyle. Same thing with chronic pain, especially nowadays being everyone becoming more and more aware of the problems with, the, with taking opioids in the long run, the opioid crisis. Uh, more patients are seeking to do things that are really going to help them in the long run rather than just taking opioids. So, so it's really, and again, integrative medicine is not necessarily for everyone um, because a lot of the patients that come to us are sort of looking to go the extra mile. There are no shortcuts in integrative medicine. There's no magic supplement. There's no magic diet, right? This is a commitment. This is a journey. So patients who come to us are often uh, willing uh, to dedicate uh, their time and, and be disciplined about following this path because they know that that's going to give them more long-term, um, you know, better outcomes than just taking a pill. I want to ask you a little more about, I guess, just the philosophy of, of integrative medicine. And you've, you've kind of touched on this already, right? That, you know, we, we steered away from this alternative, uh, you know, attitude. But as I understand, everything you do is, is pretty much evidence-based. So why bother to kind of make this, why are you integrating anything? Why, why isn't it just kind of like one medicine? Exactly. So that's often my answer to a lot of integrative medicine questions. Like, this is just how medicine's supposed to be, but unfortunately it's not. Right. So like you said, uh, all of this is evidence based. In fact, um, most of the diseases that we treat in Western medicine, most of the chronic conditions, the first line of therapy is often diet and lifestyle changes. And to give you an example, in medical school, I probably learn about four hours of nutrition in four years. Right. So so the, it just doesn't make sense that when we have this robust data when it comes to just diet and lifestyle management. 
and we're not really teaching physicians the tools they need to combat majority of chronic conditions, that's where the gap is. So if 80% of the conditions that most Americans suffer with are preventable, then how come not 80% of our efforts are not focused on prevention? Less than 4% of all the healthcare funding actually goes into prevention rather than you know, everything else just goes into treatment, which is very reactionary approach. So this is honestly what, when I was going, about to go into medical school, this is how I thought medicine was practiced. It just makes sense. It just, you know, would it, you know any, anyone you ask, they'll say, you know, I'm surprised that not other doctors are doing this. I'm surprised that not other medical centers are doing this. Because first of all, we're embracing preventive medicine approach. Second, we're incorporating you know, evidence-based medicine techniques that are far safer, less invasive, cost-effective. And third, we are talking about making a time, you know, a commitment to our patients in making sure that we support them throughout their health journey. It's not just incidental, accidental inter encounters when something goes wrong, patient comes in, we give them a medication, then we see them a year later. This is more of a commitment and understanding what health means to that patient, investigating, and also investing a lot of time and effort in understanding what the root cause of the disease is, rather than treating all these symptoms in isolation. So when you can actually do this in a team-based approach, in a more holistic model, it's really, it really is a win-win situation for both patients and for the provider. I do want to ask, though, about just like science, I guess, as a philosophy. I think we often forget that science is a philosophy that it's and it is you know especially and like at the end of the 19th century and the 20th century science has kind of become the king in medicine and like rightfully so but are there um I, I just sort of feel bogged down in this idea of you know you just sort of accumulate a bunch of data and like plug and chug and figure out whether there's some sort of statistical significance and that's supposed to help you, you know, with the patient in front of you that is very, very likely different than all the people that you analyze in your study. So is that something that's kind of going through the back of your mind when, when saying things are evidence-based and maybe saying, all right, yes, science is like obviously very important in, in, you know, maintaining the integrity of medicine, but also, you know, taking it with a grain of salt. Absolutely. So when we talk about evidence-based medicine on the research studies, we are practicing the science of medicine. But first and foremost, medicine is an art. And when it comes to art, you know, you, you really have to bring in this more abstract concept of tailoring and customizing treatment to the person in front of you. Because like I said, two people can walk into my door and both have the you know, diagnosis of diabetes, but what I'm going to do for these patients and what these patients are looking for will be very, very different. So sometimes that gets lost in the science of med medicine. And I think a lot of the success we've had is really because we combine the art and science of medicine. And I think as we go forward, we're looking at, you know, more and more research studies are now starting to focus on patient reported outcomes rather than just objective findings, whether it's the lab results or, you know, um, or just how many, you know, extra days the patient lives with chemotherapy. So I think as we shift more focus and, and a good amount of focus on patient reported outcomes, hopefully we'll pick up on this variation um, and, and we'll finally acknowledge the fact that no two patients are the same and understand we do have to group people together for the, for the sake of research, 
But we don't always have to do that when we see uh, in a one on one encounter with, with a doctor patient relationship. We can practice the art of medicine just as robustly as we practice the science of medicine. And I think that will really ultimately determine the success. And the future of medicine is taking into account this holistic model. It's not just looking at patient or organ system in isolation. And I think it was William Osler who said, it's more important to know, um, you know what, what patient has the disease rather than what disease the patient has, because that will ultimately determine what treatment you choose. So I think we need to shift the focus from treating a disease to treating the patient. I, I definitely like what you're saying, right? The art, the, the combining of the art and the science. But like, I imagine at times those can kind of feel like they're butting heads and you sort of need to uh, favor the science side because that's maybe deemed more culturally ethical. So that's what most people think um, when it comes to integrative medicine. And that's what I thought before going into the field that very often I'll, I will stand at crossroads where I'll be forced to pick um, you know, which way to go, whether to go with the conventional approach or whether to go sort of the alternative approach. And I can tell you in the last several years I've been practicing integrative medicine, there's never been a case where I had to do that. So if I see a patient who, I mean, I've seen, let's say I'll give you an example of a, of a patient I, had, I have, I still see, you know, young man in his 30s, uh, athletic, very healthy, but has severe, you know, very high blood pressure had seen the best doctors you can think of in an entire workup. And he tried some blood pressure medication, had some side effects, he just completely gave up on it. And he saw multiple specialists and no one had any luck in, you know, getting him to take the medication. When he came to see me, you know, uh, his focus was, I want to do, I want to control the blood pressure, but I really don't want to take any medicine because they make me sicker. Um, so I don't want to do that. So after developing a good relationship with the patient, really working on, you know, then we said, okay, fine, we won't approach the topic of medication just yet. Why don't we focus on the diet and other things, stress management, other things we can do in the meantime. And as you develop that rapport, you know, the patient has trust in you. And I say, you know, I, we've tried all of these things, which is great. This is a foundation, the diet and lifestyle. But I do think, given your risk factors and everything, I do recommend a medication. And I'll work with you to find a good fit for you. Let's figure out what medications you've tried. Let's try the ones you haven't and see if you tolerate them better. And now he's on two different medications, right? So my approach was a little bit different. He had seen some of the best doctors, uh, blood pressure, you know, hypertension uh, specialists. But it's not that patients are coming to me because they don't want to take medication, often because they're, it's just that they're not educated in the right way or their goals were not heard, right? So again, the art of medicine in this case was to work with the patient, identify what's important to them and bringing every option to the table and developing that rapport. And that rapport ultimately determines the success, the therapeutic success in any relationship between a doctor and a patient. So it's not so much about uh, patients saying, I don't want that. And a lot of time that I don't want this Western medicine approach often comes because they had a bad experience with the provider or the treatment. They don't really understand it completely. So when you establish the trust with the patient, they are far more open to every option you bring to the table. So, so again, that's a testament to really combining the art and science of medicine. Because when we do just science, we leave a lot of people out. Yeah, what you're saying definitely reminds me of, of 
what one of my friends has reiterated to me on multiple occasions that when she just goes to see a doctor, it just sort of at times can just feel like rushed and like we need to spend more time like listening to you, you were saying the patient's goals and, and kind of what's going on. And I think obviously like looking at more as an art will allow, you know, that doctor and patient relationship to build more of that, that trust. Another thing I, I was going to ask you about is in your practice of integrative medicine, I think one thing that is unique, uh, a lot of the therapies we talked about earlier have been around for, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of years. Uh, what's it like sort of, in a lot of ways, looking back to the past uh, to find some, some like wisdom and, um, you know, insight for, for your medical practice when a lot of your, your peers are likely, you know, looking forward towards, towards the new uh, breakthroughs in medicine. That's, a good, that's very interesting you say that because often when I explain to patients or, you know, anyone, all my family members, when they ask me what I do, I often say I combine the best of East and West. So it doesn't have to be one or the other. So in my practice, let's say a patient comes in with IBS, they might walk out with a treatment plan that includes testing their gut microbiome. Um, and it might also include some uh, herbs that are based in Ayurveda and some diet changes, right? So, so it really is the best of both worlds. And the more time I've spent learning things like Ayurveda, which is traditional Indian medicine that goes back thousands of years, and traditional Chinese medicine. So I learned acupuncture and learned that there's a lot of, you know, par correlation between these ancient techniques. So whether you look at traditional Chinese medicine, whether you t look at, you know, Ayurveda, or whether you look at some of the more indigenous uh, medicine practices um, or shamanic practices, a lot of the concepts are very, very similar. And the reason why these modalities and these, uh, you know, these traditions have survived because they've really stood to the test of time. So it's just fascinating to see how things have been practiced for thousands of years and they're just as relevant as they are, they were thousands of years ago as they are today. And in my experience right now, in my practice, I would say I practice about 20% Western medicine and 80% uh, sort of Eastern medicine because most patients who come to me have already gone through the Western medicine route. And so when they come to me, my job is to think outside the box and really see what else can be done. And when I learned Ayurveda, when I learned traditional Chinese medicine, it, it just blew my mind how refined, how advanced um, these, these ancient, um, you know, these ancient ways of practicing medicine have been. So when you learn about it and you find parallels with Western medicine, it was fascinating to think that, oh, they knew about this 5,000 years ago. So for instance, you know, in Chinese medicine, the idea is that if patients are very anemic or they have any sort of, um, blood disorders, so hematological abnormalities, it's often, you know, sometimes it's often related to the kidney meridian being weak. So the kidney meridian often includes, you know, the kidneys and also the adrenal glands as well. Um, so sometimes, so it just makes sense if you strengthen the kidney meridian, which also produces erythropoietin, that it can often help with anemia, right? So things like this that you, you know, when you find these correlations, it's just fascinating to see how much they knew about the body. 
And I feel like learning about Eastern medicine has only deepened my understanding of medicine in general and made me a much better doctor. So because these ancient um, you know, traditions often rely very much on the art and the science. And when you add thousands of years of experience, um, that's just a cherry on top. So it's just been fascinating ancient traditions to see how advanced how detailed, um, you know, how elegant they are. Um, it, it really is humbling and it just feels sort of foolish not to take advantage of that. Was it like, do you think those things were, were sort of lost and are being rediscovered or are they only isolated to, you know, geographic regions? How come this wasn't, you know, more on the radar, especially if, I guess, for instance, just people in the United States far before and now? Yeah, I do think, I mean, these uh, ancient traditions have been around for thousands of years ago, and they still to this day are practiced in certain parts of the world. I think over the last 20, 30 years, as we've seen a tsunami of chronic diseases, patients have started looking for more, right? So if you think about the incidence of, you know, cancer going from one in four people 40 years ago to now one in two people have cancer to the epidemic of obesity and hence the consequences of obesity, whether it's heart disease, diabetes, again, cancer, autoimmune conditions, when these have skyrocketed and we realize the limitations of Western medicine, there is a renewed interest in learning more about Eastern traditions. And as more and more evidence starts supporting um, the efficacy and safety profile, I think more and more people are eager to incorporate that into their practice. And again, you know, getting more media attention with social media and everything, these isolated areas in the world, they're practicing medicines have become a lot more, they have received a lot more limelight in recent years. So it's just amazing that you can be in New York City and you can have access to, you know, acupuncture, to Ayurveda, to, um, to meditation classes, to all of these things, it's just fantastic. And I think this is sort of, we're heading into the best age of medicine where you really have the best of both worlds. After college, you embarked on a solo spiritual journey throughout Southeast Asia. Can you uh, tell our listeners about this experience and some of the insights you gained? Yeah, and, uh, so I grew up in India um, and my parents, thankfully, were very open-minded and embraced this holistic approach. So I was, you know, I, I you know, I always joke that I probably learned to meditate before I learned to walk. So a lot of these modalities were new to me. So when I moved to the US, and when I went through medical training, you know, I often put those, you know, things that I, I, I grew up with sort of on the back burner, um, and focus a lot on the Western approach. And it was fascinating to learn about that. And when I came to practice, when as a resident, as an attending, you very quickly realize the limitations of Western medicine. And then I realized that this is so important that we really bring all modalities to help our patients. And having done that year between, you know, between college and medical school, I literally just decided to defer for a year um, and just pack my bags and travel through Southeast Asia by myself for six months. And it was an eye-opening experience because I really, at that time, delve very deeply into a lot of these traditions. So I did, you know, just give an example, I did a 10 day silent meditation retreat when I was 22. 
And most people think of backpacking as, you know, you party on some island in Thailand when you're backpacking at that age. Um, But I, I, you know, I said, let's do this. And that 10 day meditation retreat was basically you don't speak for 10 days. Um, They take your phone, your wallet, everything. um, And you're just in complete silence for those 10 days. And you're literally meditating 12 to 16 hours a day. And it was just one of the, the most incredible experiences of my life. And that just opened my eyes that there's so much more um, out there. And as I traveled through different countries in Southeast Asia, I learned more and more about the local traditions and healing modalities and experienced them firsthand. Because a lot of, a lot of things about integrative medicine comes from a place of authenticity. So if I'm recommending anything to a patient, it's something that I have tried, that I have practiced, and I have deep, and because knowledge has its limits, right? Um, you know, I can read all the books in the world, but what experience brings to the table really adds that element of authentic, authenticity when it comes to the patient um, relationship, because that's when I can develop that trust relationship um, in a very short period of time. Because patients can see that it's coming from a place of genuine, you know, that I really care about my patients and what I'm recommending, um, I really believe it's going to help them. And that effect is so powerful. It's far more powerful than any medication, any treatment I will prescribe. So if I don't have that relationship, I could have the best medications for the patient. It just won't have the same effect as having that trust relationship. So anytime I recommend something to a patient, uh, I always talk about my personal experience with it. And that just adds more to um, that art of medicine that I'm talking about. And having that year really was life-changing in so many ways, not just for personal growth, but also professional growth. But that time has served me to this day and continues to serve me because that's when I learned that, you know, when you experience it, it completely, it can never take place. You know, it can never replace all the books that I'm going to read in the future. So to this day, I've, I've kept that lesson and I continue to practice. And as we're speaking, <laughs> this week, I actually took a week off um, at extra vacation time. And I'm actually going through um, a very detailed Ayurvedic detox called Panchakarma. Um, there are a lot of patients, I think, that would really benefit from it. But I wanted to personally experience it. So I'm actually doing it um, right now to see what it entails. It's not easy, but I wanted to experience it firsthand so I can share my experience and be authentic when I suggest that to my patients. So again, this is a, that's a lesson I learned during that year and it's probably the most valuable lesson has served me very well until this day and hopefully you know, uh, in the future too. How do you conceptualize the, the spirit and, and like mind-body spirit and how, how do you see spirituality what, what role does spirituality play in someone's health? I think it's one of, in, if you talk about Eastern medicine, spirituality is one of the most fundamental aspects of health. Because, you know, when spiritual health um, is out of balance, it's, it has a domino effect. So spiritual health and out of balance manifests itself as imbalance in psychological or mental health. And that manifests in the physical health. So often the physical symptoms we're seeing comes from the psychological imbalance that was because of the spiritual imbalance. So one of the questions I often ask my patients is, um, what brings you a sense of joy or purpose in life? It seems like a very um, 
like a frou-frou question to ask, but probably one of the most powerful questions out of all the questions that I ask my patients. And that tends to bring the most tears, I would say. Um, I would say more than half of my patients typically cry within the first, you know, when I see them for the first time during our initial consultation. And I don't think it's, it has anything to do with my demeanor. I'm not scary. <laughs> I don't bite. Um, but it just goes to show you that a lot of times we just don't ever contemplate these questions, let alone have a doctor ask you this question, because the doctor thinks that this is probably one of the most important things that I can learn about the patient in front of me. So that's where the spirituality comes into play. It, it doesn't have to be religious. It, it, it's a something um, that what makes us human. One of the fundamental questions we ask as a human being is, why am I here? What is my purpose? What may, brings me joy? And I find that if that question is unanswered, there will be an imbalance in psychological health and physical health. So I can do everything to fix up the physical health, but if I don't address this fundamental question or encourage a discussion, a conversation about this, um, then I'm not really practicing holistic medicine. So I find spirituality to be a very, very fundamental thing that has to be addressed and often completely ignored um, in a more Western uh, sense of medicine. So you're kind of saying, though, the essence of those, those big questions you ask your patients, that kind of is how you tune in to their spirit. Absolutely. And that's how I really get to know the person in front of me, right? So I can have them fill out a form and tell me about you know, the family history and the allergies and the medications they've taken, the surgeries they've had. But for me to really establish a connection with the patient, um, that question really opens so many doors. And, and, and sometimes it shakes people. And my job is to shake people and start the discussion of health. And I cannot have a discussion about health unless I address the spirituality, the, the psychological aspect, and the physical because people often come to me for physical symptoms and diseases. Um, and they're often sort of shocked when I ask about these questions. But no one has ever questioned me on that, those questions because they, everyone understands and recognizes that is, it is instrumental in, in any discussion pertaining to health. Want to finish up with a lightning round? A series of fast-paced <laughs> questions that tell us more about you. Sounds good. Um, so you were on the Dr. Oz show. I, re I recommend that all our listeners check out the, the clip. It talks about identifying your digestive type. So what was the coolest thing about being on that show? I think it was great to recognize <laughs> how hard it is to be on TV and how <laughs> Dr. Oz does it effortlessly. He must have incredible memory because he, you know, you think when you think about shooting a movie, it's like, retakes and retakes with shows like that. There are no retakes. You just go. So I have incredible, you know, incredible respect for anyone who does live television or any, you know, any TV shows like that. I will say, I thought you were very uh, refined and eloquent. So kudos. Yeah. I, another, I felt like for a while I associated Dr. Oz and Dr. Phil. So I didn't, <laughs> I, I didn't know too much about his legitimacy, legitimacy, mm -hmm. but then I looked him up. He's like a very, He's like a, he's like a cardiothoracic surgeon, correct? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, I guess I should maybe pay a little more attention to what he has to say. Um, what's a go-to fun activity in New York for you? For me is eating. I love exploring 
different cuisines. So I think that would be my go-to for sure. I have a running list of uh, all the restaurants I want to check out. What's your favorite genre or like ethnic food or whatever? Oh, I I can't pick one. I I just can't. There's just so much. Can't do it. It's so hard. (laughs) All right. Best movie or TV show you watched during COVID? God, now this is really embarrassing. Uh, 90 Day Fiance. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) What's your one uh, shameless indulgence or like, I don't know. Do you have any like? Yes. Um, I love to travel. And whenever I can, I try to fly business class, first class. This is my treat. It, it, it sounds ridiculous, but I just love that experience. <laughs> <laughs> nice. What's your go-to self-care technique? Uh, for, for me, go-to self-care technique, hands down, pranayama, which is breathing exercises based in yoga. Um, most powerful thing uh, and the fastest. Awesome. Last question. What's the biggest misconception about integrative medicine? That it is not evidence-based. And it's, it's completely opposite. It's actually the most evidence. And what we're often doing is actually not evidence-based. You heard it here. Start meditating. Start doing yoga. Reach out to your local integrative medicine physician, Dr. Chidi Parikh. Thanks so much for joining the show. Thank you. It was a pleasure. That concludes this episode of Esculapius. Till next time, I'm your host, John Neary. Be well.